Well, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his peace be with you today. It's great to be together in the house of God. I hope you are aware uh, of the incredible privilege that is ours to be in the presence of one another um, and to be in the presence of the living God who has promised his blessing upon us. So let your heart be lifted in that. We wanted to show you this video that we've just seen this morning because we want to remind you of uh, how critically important it is for us to be students of the Word of God, uh, how critically important it is for us to be faithful to what is given us there as we live out our lives. And uh, we we just want to be a church that is dedicated to the Word of God in our own personal study uh, and our our personal growth that way, and also together. We need one another. Would you agree with me on that? We need one another to help us to move forward in our walk with Christ. And uh, one of the best ways for us to do that. Just literally one of the best ways for us to do that is in the context of small group where we get together, open God's word together and discuss together, pray for one another, care for one another, hear God's directives in our lives and then uh, in prayerful service we we just live out what God is giving us. We want to encourage you this morning to take the opportunity for life group seriously and uh, so following or near the end of our gathered time together today we're going to bring up some of our uh, some of our life group leaders and uh, just let you see them. I mean they do exist. It's you know they're they're real living breathing people and uh, and they do an amazing work amongst us and we want to bring some of them up, and you're just going to hear a little bit from them that'll give you an idea of the opportunities that are uh, before you. There's blessing that you can access in, uh, in, in just being faithful in being together with the body of believers to serve and to learn and to grow. So we really want, to, really want for you to consider that this morning. We'll have opportunity following our time uh, for you to sign up. You'll, you'll already have noticed in your uh, worship guide this morning that there is uh, a list of small groups that are currently uh, operating, a number of different forms that they take, and you can certainly um, access that. We want you to be uh, a part of that. For our Sunday morning meditations, we've been uh, looking into Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's been tremendously encouraging, I need to tell you, for me, uh, just because the more I get into this, the the more I am reminded of the depths and the the power of the grace of God, as it's seen in the life of the Apostle Paul and then those that he ministered to, and uh, also as it's carried on generation after generation, right to our day, right to this moment. It affects our lives and it instructs us. I hope... I'm asking that you give me direct access to your heart this morning. I'm asking that uh, you just drop the guards and be prepared to receive what God has for us from his word. It's life-giving. It'll make a difference for you. And uh, let's, let's just set aside all pretense that I'm supposed to somehow find a, you know, a, a pervasive way or per- persuasive way to kind of get past your defenses so that finally the Word of God can strike your heart. Let's just say together we agree we want God's Word to illumine our hearts and to guide our lives. <clears throat> That's what we need. And uh, of course, it's not me, actually, that gains access It's the Word of God that gains access, and it's His choice for this morning for you and for me that He uses this instrument to see that come to be. So I trust that you're hungry for the Word of God. 
I want to begin actually with a couple of reminders through some photographs for you of people who have had influence in the life of this church for the advance of the gospel. <clears throat> there are some faces you're going to see here that uh, for many of you will be just reminders of the powerful influence of the gospel in a life. Here's the first one. You know who that is? That's, that's Lloyd and Ollie Wilson. Uh, and again, many of you will know who this is. I, I have to admit that I've never had the privilege of knowing Lloyd Wilson, I, as many of you have, but I know Ollie. <clears throat> and I've heard from many of you the, the stories from family and others of the kind of heart that Lloyd had and, uh, and Ollie together with him, the heart of an evangelist. And he just had a way. <clears throat> he just had a way of connecting with people right where they were in the midst of all of the messiness of life. Um, and uh, in the context of uh, his ability to befriend people, people would be drawn into the wider circle of the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of Christ. <clears throat> and uh, they would see the love in this community, and they would experience the service that this community would give, and people would come to know Jesus Christ. Their lives would be changed. There was something extraordinary there. In a similar way, I never had the privilege of knowing this next person, uh, Laura Binkley. Here's a picture of Laura Binkley. Do you remember Laura Binkley? A number of years ago, some of you, some of you do. This is uh, uh, another one kind of reaching back. This is a young woman, <laughs> courageous, uh, sold out for Jesus Christ, who lived and worked for Interschool Christian Fellowship here in, in Uxbridge for a number of years, was very present in our high school. I heard from some who knew her in those days that she was kind of like the Pied Piper in the high school. She'd walk down the hallways, and there would be this, this, this whole pack of kids that would be following along with her, surrounding her. Uh, because of her loving influence for the gospel of Christ. Laura's story is that uh, after that phase, that episode, she went to Russia to do missions work, and as it turns out, her life was forfeited in the process. <clears throat> Family and uh, friends say that uh, Laura was devoting her life to help some of the most desperate people in an increasingly troubled nation, especially at that time. She gave herself to serve the orphaned children of Russia. <clears throat> she was working there for an organization called Adam Children's Fund, and uh, the, the whole process was to try to help coordinate the adoption, international adoptions of orphans and provide assistance for the orphans uh, and orphanages as they were there. It's believed that uh, a Russian girl deliberately targeted Laura, uh, befriended her actually at the church uh, where she attended in Russia, and then uh, when was invited to Laura's apartment, the Russian girl also let in some Russian men whose design was to steal what she had. They strangled her in her apartment and robbed her of the small amount of cash that she had there. <clears throat> There's another individual I want to bring to your memory, and this is Mickey Jovkovic. <clears throat> Mickey is one that I did have the privilege of knowing personally. In fact, he's the only man who's ever kissed me on the lips, <laughs> I have to say. That's quite a memory. Um, <laughs> he, he, too, just had a way of befriending and enfolding people so that they would come to learn about Christ. 
And they'd come to know Jesus Christ personally. It was just on his heart. You actually see the emblem of the Green Bank Airport there, which was one of his passions. Uh, but also it was a, a place to be able to invite people, even for worship on a Sunday morning, in order that they might come to know Christ. Try to remove all the barriers that there might be so people would see the, the incredible blessing of knowing Christ. Mickey died in a tragic plane uh, crash here in Uxbridge approaching 12 years ago. <clears throat> His life was cut short. <clears throat> but Mickey is one we remember as fearless <clears throat> in his witness for the gospel. These are all stories of people well known to this church, part of the life of this church, who lived inspirational lives for the advance of the gospel, and whose lives were cut short <clears throat> in the unsearchable wisdom of God. <clears throat> and they continue to inspire. Do you agree with me? You might think of many others also, many others added to this list who had great influence in your lives. They lived a life of sacrificial service for Christ and for the gospel. And that inspires us to honor Christ with all that we are, and to honor Christ first in our lives. That's the legacy from lives such as this. The life of the Apostle Paul is such a life. It inspires unreserved love and service to Jesus Christ. This letter to the Philippians is one of four that are known as prison letters. And they're prison letters because they're written by Paul uh, from his uh, condition of being in prison. These letters are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, and uh, though it's possible that Paul wrote this uh, letter of the, to the Philippians from a prison in Eph Ephesus, there are some who would argue that. Most actually believe that it was written from Rome as Paul was awaiting his trial there. And he wrote it in response to the inquiry of the loving people of Philippi as to what's going on, because Paul is struggling. I want us to pick up the text in verse 12 of the first chapter. Uh, I'll read this, and we're just going to make our way through this uh, little section of Paul's letter and draw out the wonderful um, life-transforming truths that are here. Let's be merry before the Word of God and hear with eagerness. <clears throat> Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. <clears throat> as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Actually, the, the uh, underlying Greek there says, I am in chains in Christ. If you catch that, you realize that it's who he is in Jesus Christ because of the sovereign power of Christ, that Paul is in the place where he is, and he certainly is there for Christ. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There's a powerful dynamic here for us to understand. And let's begin by asking the question, well, what has happened? Well, what, what is it that Paul has experienced? His experience is that he's um, been uh, preaching the gospel. He has for that suffered and been taken captive and now is imprisoned. He's suffered tremendously in prison. Prison is not like we might think of even in modern times where all of the necessities of life are provided and you're treated with dignity and that sort of thing. Uh, no, uh, it's uh, you're, you're incarcerated and you're hoping that there's some 
somebody who actually has enough compassion in their life to minister to your needs, because you're not going to get that from the government. You're not going to get that uh, from, from others. Paul was in prison, and he was suffering. But Paul has, in this condition, an overwhelming confidence in the ruling power of God in his own circumstances. Now, that's amazing. And even when everything seems to go wrong, Paul seems to have confidence that God is ruling and having his way. Think about this. He's a traveling apostle, and for him to be put into prison, like what more restrictive uh, circumstance could he be in? He's the one who wants to go out to the synagogues and to the places where people gather in the marketplace and down by the riverside where people will, will gather and share the gospel with them. It must be like having his hands tied behind his back. What can he do to advance his, um, his apostolic call and to share the gospel? But Paul had an unshakable conviction that God works through unlikely circumstances, through circumstances we would not put forward for ourselves. We often think about God moving in mysterious ways, and praise God, he does, and unfolds a greater plan, a greater purpose, and a greater work as he works out his mysterious ways. This is just the way of the cross. Like, how could there be a more mysterious way of God working and doing what he intends to do. It, it, it appears to lead to shame and undoing, but it turns out to be the means by which God does a much greater work, a work that could not be anticipated. Paul answers the inquiry that the Philippians have sent. You know, they're anxious because they know Paul's in prison, and that's not an easy place to be. And they're some distance away, and they, they have written to him and sent, uh, probably through Epaphroditus, they've sent that letter, and, and uh, they're interested in Paul's personal well-being. And uh, Paul says, well, here's my response, everything is good with the gospel. I, I just find this amazing. They say, well, Paul, how are you doing? And Paul says, everything is great with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, he has no concern for his own personal circumstances. Don't you find that amazing? Um, <clears throat> Paul was, Paul was uh, you know, he could not distinguish his own personal well-being from the advance of the gospel. That's instructive for us. He couldn't distinguish those two things. So if you ask the question, <clears throat> uh, you know, how do you know if somebody is sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's your answer. <clears throat> that they, they just set aside their own personal concerns and rejoice in the advance of the gospel. For Paul, though in prison, things are not going badly with the gospel, but they're going very well. This is not a backward step. This is an advance. It's moving forward. The gospel has not suffered a blow from the enemy or from the great power of Caesar or whatever it might be. Actually, what has happened to Paul it has been to advance the gospel. This is a triumph. Well, how could this be? How could it possibly be? How does this happen? Well, it became clear, Paul tells us in this section, that uh, he was in chains. Uh, it became clear to those around that he was in chains for Christ. He was in chains in Christ. You see, the, the imperial guard, <clears throat> they were made aware that this was a man who was in their custody because he was proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ, this new and very subversive message. 
Um, <clears throat> this was the Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard is the elite of the soldiers of Rome, uh, those who are treated with greater respect and they have greater prospect ahead of them uh, because of their abilities, because they are selected specially. They become aware that Paul is in prison for the preaching of the lordship of this one known as Jesus. Now they had heard about the gospel before. <clears throat> they had heard about the gospel of Caesar. This was actually common in the day that uh, Caesar would be the one who's proclaimed as Lord. And Caesar would be the one who, as, having newly arisen to the throne in Rome, would be the one who was going to bring justice and peace to the entire empire. And so they would actually use the same term, yeah, same term, euangelios, euangelion, same Greek term to speak about the good news of the uh, ascendancy of the, the Roman emperor to his throne. They had heard the gospel before, but not this gospel that Paul speaks about. And Paul is speaking about the raising to the highest throne, uh, this one who is now Lord of Lords and King of Kings, even above Caesar. And uh, it appears subversive <clears throat> to those who are loyal to Caesar. Paul proclaims the gospel and he says, everyone around knows this, uh, this gospel. I'm in prison because I preach Jesus as Lord of all. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is King throughout the universe. And it appears as though this has become a popular theme in, uh, in Rome, where I think Paul is. Uh, it's a discussion among the imperial guard and in many quarters in Rome. Paul and his gospel had become the topic du jour. It was there in the tabloids and in the late night talk shows and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was the talk of the Sabbath of the first century. And listen to the amazing claim that Paul makes here. It's through, it is through the power of King Jesus, who is really the Lord of all, and therefore the higher authority, higher even than Caesar, who has put Paul in prison. He's not here because of Caesar and his soldiers. He's here because of the greater Lord, to whom Caesar is responsible. It's through the power of this one and, and in this circumstance that God is glorified and the gospel is being proclaimed even more powerfully. Get hold of this. Hey, if God can use the imprisonment of an apostle to further his saving purposes, why would we have doubt that God can use anything? Like, why would we be concerned that, that anything is a hindrance to the gospel if God intends to use it? God can use a deeply flawed president to do it. And God can use a naive and entitled prime minister to do it. God can use an activist education system to advance the gospel. God can uh, use a jaded culture to bring glory to himself. He actually can. If God can use a cross, he can use anything. If God can use a jail cell, he can use anything. Certainly he can use an accountant and a barber and a chef and a dentist and an electrician, and a firefighter. You finish out the alphabet. God can use anyone, anywhere. This is Paul's sincere conviction. And uh, what was the result? Well, uh, Paul, is, Paul is thrilled at this. That fellow believers actually have been, become more confident in the Lord, and they preach the gospel more fearlessly because of his imprisonment. <clears throat> Paul's joy and excitement, you know, it rises to a new level as he comes to see this 
unfold. Uh, the, the powers that be have their efforts to silence the gospel, but actually by their very actions, God has so worked it that the gospel goes forward even more powerfully. The deterrent has turned into an asset. That's the mysterious work of the living God. The truth, uh, you know, the power that flowed through this helpless prisoner's testimony had prompted the believers there uh, to use their freedom more fearlessly for the advance of the gospel. And Paul's purpose was to encourage the believers in Philippi as he's now responding to them uh, that it might actually be, an, uh, you know, it might actually be something that strengthens their faith and sends them out with greater confidence in the gospel. But he's doing it also under God's direction that we might be encouraged, that we might be more courageous proponents of the gospel. We need to learn from Paul the kind of faith that sees God's purposes working out even though it appears to be a setback or it appears to be a difficulty, some hurdle that we have to get past. God is able to work it for good. Don't you deny it. But we have to look a little bit more closely. In fact, prison was not the only obstacle that Paul faced. Let me spell it out a little bit further by looking at these next few verses, beginning at verse 15 here. Paul speaks about the preaching of the gospel, and he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Think of this. What is this second obstacle, as I put it? Well, the trouble is that uh, even fellow believers, can you imagine this? Even fellow believers stir up trouble for the apostle. Even, even within the church, there can be opposition to what God is doing. There, there, there can be, uh, you know, a, a vanity, a selfish ambition. There can rise up some kind of self-serving that is in, that, that some way sours the work of the gospel. Um, one group, there, there were two groups of preachers in Rome inspired by his, uh, his sufferings for the greater preaching of the gospel. One group preached Christ out of envy. It is possible. And there was another group that preached Christ out of goodwill. And, you know, in order to catch what Paul is on to here, he, we need to understand that uh, this renewed preaching of the gospel that comes about by Paul's very circumstances um, was uh, used by some to undermine Paul. It seemed like uh, it was an opportunity to kind of slip in and take Paul's place now that he had been sidelined. So for their own advance. But they're preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ. Paul has, on other occasions in his life, uh, uh, you know, the need to address those who are preaching another gospel. And he excoriates them. He's very severe with them. He will not allow them to move forward preaching another gospel than the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. But here he sees that they are preaching the gospel of Christ. They're just doing it with their you know, own added selfish ambition to somehow sideline Paul and assume his role. So what's Paul's response? I love this. I love this. Verse 18, what's Paul's response? What does it matter? What does it matter the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Doesn't that, doesn't that strike your heart? What does it matter? 
What do my personal circumstances matter in the much greater, much more glorious work of the advance of the gospel? All I care about is that Jesus Christ is preached and his free grace is offered. This is Paul's response. There's no end of rejoicing for Paul, even in his circumstances. If we're to really take seriously the the illustration of the Apostle Paul and to follow him as he follows Christ. How can we we move forward without saying, you know what, my personal circumstances, just these are nothing to be compared with the importance of the advance of the gospel. And I live for the advance of the gospel. So Paul's response, he's just overjoyed that the gospel is being preached, that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed king despite Caesar. Um, and that uh, uh, it, it, this is being done at the cost of his own personal honor? Well, what does that matter? The goal and purpose of his whole life was being fulfilled even if he was not being honored or whether or not he was being honored. He, he deserved their honor. There's no question about that. But the fact is, um, the fact that he didn't receive it was uh, uh, really a matter of no consequence. Are you getting a sense for how thoroughly committed to the advance, the advance of the gospel, Paul is. It consumes all that he is. He has no other identity. How are you doing, Paul? The, the gospel is moving forward with great advance, and I am full of joy. Nothing else compares. Nothing else matters. He delights in the advance of the gospel, and he sees his circumstances in that perspective. <clears throat> You know, Paul remembers, we need to understand this is not the first time Paul's been on the inside of a prison. It's not the first time he's seen the prison walls from the inside. Do you remember the story? Um, Actually, Paul was in Philippi, and he was preaching the gospel there, and uh, there was an uprising against him, and he was put into prison in Philippi. He was beaten with rods severely. He and Silas, they were... Uh, They were, uh, uh, you know, cast into prison unjustly. Uh, They were shackled. Their feet were were put into the stocks. Uh, The prison doors were closed, and the Philippian jailer was given charge over them. And uh, there they were inside the prison cell at midnight, singing praises to God, full of joy. And all of the others were listening to them. This is an amazing thing. You know, this is a sight to behold. And at midnight, an earthquake comes. And the earthquake is so, just so miraculously specific, it shakes the walls of the prison, the prison doors open, the shackles fall off. Um, the prisoner, the, the jailer is, uh, recognizes that everyone is going to run free, and so he draws his sword to take his own life, um, to give himself a more merciful death than what would come his way otherwise. And Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Paul had seen the inside of a prison before. And it's just in that circumstance that he saw the power of God. A prison doesn't limit what God intends to do. Of course, Paul knew the story of Peter as well. Peter is in prison, and uh, the believers are are praying for Peter's release. The angel of the Lord comes. The the guards are asleep. The angel of the Lord actually, uh, you know, Peter's shackles fall off, and he's led out by the angel into freedom. God knows how to deliver from these circumstances. The circumstances are not the focus of Paul's life. 
he gladly accepts the personal cost for the advance of the gospel. Let it through to your heart. He gladly accepts the circumstances of the gospel, uh, circumstances of uh, or what it costs in order that the gospel might go forward. <clears throat> There's another person I want to remind you of here who is uh, inspirational in the same way. <clears throat> we, have a, we have a photograph here of uh, Jim Elliott. Do you remember the story of Jim Elliott? And is, that, is that in our... There it is. This is Jim Elliott. He died in 1956. <clears throat> Jim Elliott is uh, uh, the, an evangelical Christian who was one of five missionaries who was killed while he was participating in what was known as Operation Alka. And this was the attempt of these five courageous young men who were sold out for Jesus Christ to evangelize the people in Ecuador. And they had done things right. They had done a number of ways. They worked really hard to approach these people. These were violent people. Uh, these were people from whom many did not come away alive. But they decided they wanted to bring the gospel to them. And they lost their lives in the effort. <clears throat> you might think, well, what, what a tragic setback for the gospel. <clears throat> How could it possibly be? You know, where was God in all of this? And just listen to a YouTube uh, talk by Elizabeth Elliot, uh, Jim's wife, and she was just celebrating how many doors have opened up because of what God allowed to be experienced in Jim Elliot's life. And how, how, how many more people were encouraged to step out of their comfortable lives to live for the gospel and to, to take personal sacrifice in order that Christ might be lifted up and the good news might go from, from one to the next to the next. How much more mission mobilization happened because of these circumstances? It's been inspirational for so many to have uh, recognized what uh, Jim Elliott wrote in his, uh, his diary. He wrote these words you see projected there. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's true for us. You know, we have so much more in our hands, but nothing so glorious as a fully committed service to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Paul's proclamation is that there's a new king, <clears throat> and his name is Jesus. And uh, that's just the point. The reality is he is the new king. He is on the throne. And there, this, this is not just a wishful, uh, you know, uh, desire on Paul's part. It's the reality. He knows that this is the king who has put him in this place. He knows that this is the king who can free him from this prison. He knows that this is the king who is ruling despite what any other authority might do. Paul is preaching. His own life is the evidence of the gospel going forward. He expects that the will of the true king, the only and only that will, of the true king will be done and Paul rejoices in it even in those circumstances where most of us would say how could this possibly be he expects to see it he expects to see the will of the king advance he and he takes great joy in seeing it happen there simply is no other narrative there's no other description of the reality around him it is king Jesus who is having his way you see, for Paul, for Paul, there is no option to leave behind the service of the royal family. That's, that's just not an option for Paul. He can't put any kind of personal concern or desire 
or comfort ahead of the, you know, just the indescribable work of the monarchy and the kingdom. And if it's in his prison cell and if it's be in the context of shame, he counts it joy because he serves the king of glory. For some other royal family, there, there may be other pursuits that might be more to one's liking. But for Paul, there can be no separation from the proclamation, Christ is king, and its implication, I am his servant. And in this, Paul rejoices. So Paul sees the signs of the advance of the gospel. And he is, he's, he, this is not a ploy. His heart is full of joy. And the joy he confesses, it's legitimate joy because he's rejoicing not in his supporters. There are his supporters. Neither is he rejoicing in his opponents. Clearly he has opponents. He's not even rejoicing in himself. He's rejoicing in the power of the Lord who is advancing his gospel. It's just sheer joy that Christ is advanced. I want to say to you, this is normal Christianity. What we might experience is not the norm. This is the norm. This is what it is to walk with Christ. I want to share with you a few other observations from Scripture quickly that uh, speak about just, just the, 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 the commitment of the church to see the gospel move forward and pressed home on hearts. It's actually quite a common biblical theme. You, you, look, you don't have to look too far in the book of Acts before you see how, how uh, it celebrates the spread of the gospel. The gospel is to move forward uh, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost places of the earth. And uh, you read Acts 2.47, they, they, they say the number, uh, they, the Lord added to their number daily. Or Acts 4.29, uh, that the, the word of God spread. Or Acts, Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. Or Acts 6 and verse 7. The word of God spread. Or Acts 12, 24, the word of God continued to spread. Acts 19, in this way, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. You may remember the story of the disciples being beaten and they, because of their advance of the gospel, preaching the gospel. And they were overcome with joy, the text tells us, because they were considered worthy for suffering for the name of Jesus, worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Paul, uh, in Romans 1, when he writes that to great treatise to the, to the Romans, he's, he's unashamed of the gospel, he says, and he's very happy to tell us why. I'm unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, throughout the New Testament. Even when it comes to the risen Lord who, who uh, stands and judges his churches. If you remember those awesome, awe-filled passages in Revelation 2 and 3? God addresses the church in Ephesus, and he says, you've left behind your first love. You, you are not living out the life and love of the gospel as you should. You'll stand in judgment for it. He speaks about Smyrna. They're suffering. They're, they're, they're suffering, but they're faithful in their suffering, and they're commended for it. He speaks to Thyatira and he says, you, you know, there's a lot of things that have set you back, but you're doing more than you did in the first. You're, bl you're blessed for it. He speaks to Sardis and he says to the church at Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive. It's easy to construct a reputation to be alive, but the reality is you're dead and you'll stand in judgment for it. The whole of the, the, whole of, of, of the New Testament 
is concerned with this question of the advance of the gospel. So here's the question for us. Here's the question for us. Do you love Jesus enough to actively pursue the advance of the gospel regardless of the cost? Do you love Jesus that much? Actively pursuing the advance of the gospel regardless of the cost. You know, one of the things that Satan does to us is uh, he, he wants to erode our confidence in the gospel. There are all kinds of lies today about the advance of the gospel, all kinds of lies. There are some that say the gospel is not true. <laughs> That's a lie. The evidence is in. You, you take a look. It's, uh, you know, it's compelling. The evidence for the truthfulness of Scripture is in. Uh, it's historically, it, it is compelling. It is true. Look at it with, uh, with just some objectivity. The evidence for the life-changing power of the gospel is there for all to see. It's a miracle that we're here today. It's because God's work in you. Many of our modern social developments owe their existence to the gospel impulse. Like we have public education, labor reform, prison reform, abolishment of slavery, civil rights, individual public health. That's all the social legacy of the advance of the gospel. And then there's this, you know, the, the greatest movement in the whole of human history is the Christian movement. There, there, there's just nothing else that compares in its historical endurance, its influence, its size, its generative power for good. This is Christianity. Tell me, tell me that this is not true. How could it be? There's another lie. The lie is that the advance of the gospel is thinly veiled colonialism. It, 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 and this too, it's sheer lie. This, is, this does not comport with the facts. Yes, there has been abuse of power arising from false motives. We see it in the first century. We see it in every century since. Uh, much more, though, in the hands of political forces than spiritual leaders. Slave trade, land treaties, residential schools are not the ideas of the missionaries. Yes, some elements of the church were caught up and to our shame... But that's not the intent of the missionaries. Not, that's not the intent of the love of God born in their heart. A very important part of the story is that the greatest proponents of the gospel, this is, this is rarely acknowledged, but the greatest proponents of the gospel in these cultures are themselves members of these cultures. They've been transformed by the gospel. And they want to bring the gospel to their brothers. One example, David Mensah. A poor child of northern Ghana. Some are going to have the privilege of seeing David and Brenda very soon. He saw the gospel as a powerful, liberating hope for his people. It continues to do so. And now, 25 years later, 44 churches planted. And African Muslim communities are lining up for any, to have NEA come uh, in, come into their communities, into their circumstances with their king and their gospel. And who knows 25 years from now? <laughs> like projected out, maybe 200 churches. This gospel is not colonialism. This is freedom. It's simply false to say that the proclamation of the gospel is an offense against the basic goodness of various cultures. It's just not true. 
It's likewise false to say that the gospel undermines human dignity and liberal values of a free society. It's just not true. The opposite is true. The values that have flourished, that are, these values that are of human dignity and liberal values, these are the ones that have flourished most in Christian lands. Explain that. This is the gospel. Don't listen to the lies. Here's another lie, another lie that many will listen to, that God will not hold us accountable for the sharing of the gospel. And that too is a lie. God's desire is that his love be born in our hearts and constrain us to love others in his name. It's a lie from hell to say that God won't hold us accountable for the sharing of the gospel. And the Father whose love for the world is so great that he sent his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, that Father will not hold us guiltless for sitting on the sidelines and not speaking a word to his honor. Don't believe the lie. Listen to the truth. So we have this question to ask. <clears throat> how can I be an agent of the advance of the gospel? If all of this is true, how can I be an agent of the advance of the gospel? Let me run through a number of things quickly. I think we need to hear these things. Firstly, believe the gospel. <laughs> There's no way that you're going to be an advocate for the gospel if you don't believe it yourself. <clears throat> Just open your eyes, open your heart to the reality that Jesus Christ is king. And that his kingdom is one of love and justice and righteousness. Believe it. Confess him. Follow him. And then this, believe that God calls you to do the work of sharing the gospel. He calls you. He calls me to do the work of sharing the gospel. How can I be an agent of the advance of the gospel? <clears throat> this, attack your fear of spreading the gospel. Attack it. Of course you're afraid. We're all afraid. Pray for boldness. Paul was delighted in the increased courage of those who saw his own suffering for the gospel. Pray for boldness. Read the biographies of those great personal evangelists. Resist the lies of the enemy who accuses you that you could never be used by the Lord. And then this, develop a personal strategy for sharing the gospel. I don't have time to spell it all out, but develop a personal strategy. You can do this. Engage some training. Apprentice under an effective evangelist. You can be an, an effective agent in the advance of the gospel. Here's another one. Learn the basic elements of a meaningful presentation of the gospel. Learn how to share how somebody can find the peace of God, how their sins can be forgiven, how the Bible proclaims a righteousness that is not our own, but we receive it by faith through grace. Have good evangelism materials to give away. Do you have a store? Do you, like, do you, do you have, like, like if you're intentional, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be true if you're intentional to share the gospel? You want to leave a lasting impact, you know, you want to leave a lasting impact on someone, wouldn't you have something that you can pass along so that after your parting, they can consider the gospel? Write out and prepare to uh, tell your personal story of conversion and faith at any moment. That should, be, that should be one of the easiest things that flows from our tongue. Here's another. <clears throat> Populate a list of people that God has brought into your influence for whose salvation you can pray. Just pray. Watch what God does. Continue to pray and watch for those divinely appointed moments to share. And then seize 
the moment. And there are likely to be unlikely moments as God's mysterious way works. Be supportive. Uh, Be supportive of the efforts to effectively advance the gospel. That means prayer. That means financially supportive. That means with your personal presence and words, be supportive of the efforts to advance the gospel. Like we're talking about NEA, what a wonderful opportunity for us um, to advance the gospel. Alpha, uh, just such a great opportunity for us, so easy for us to do. Special outreaches in the context of our church life, so many things. I'm going to ask you to invest in the gospel. I'm, I'm going to ask you that you, you just make it a, 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 you know, a serious matter of your own personal investment. That sermon is coming. Not today. That sermon is coming. You're going to have to wait for it. Uh, I'm just giving you a fair warning right now. It's coming. I'm going to ask you to give for the gospel's sake. I have to do it on authority of this letter. Jesus is king, and he calls us to give what is ours to him for the advance of the gospel. So I will ask you to give, and even to give so that it hurts, but what does that matter if the gospel is being preached? Let me draw this to a close with, um, with this statement. And I want to invite you to join me in affirming this. <clears throat> this is who we want to be. This is, this is who we want to be as a church In light of the instruction we receive from this letter to the Philippians, we want to be a church unashamed of the gospel, maintaining our first love, doing more than we have at the first, being patient in suffering, rejoicing in every advance of the gospel. Is that where you want to be? Give that access to your heart. We want to be unashamed of the gospel, maintaining our first love, doing more than we have at the first, being patient in suffering, rejoicing in every advance of the gospel. I want to invite you to stand together with me. We'll pray, and our worship team will come, and we will uh, give our worship to God. Would would you stand together with me? And, uh, you know, as we pray, let's just be reminded it's not a foolish thing. you, you, You... there is no fool. It is not a, it's not the fool who gives what he cannot keep <clears throat> to gain what he cannot lose. The gospel does, does not put us to shame. It lifts us in righteousness and peace and power. Let's pray together. Father, how we ask that your word would have its life-giving influence in our hearts. Help us, God. We, we just confess freely to you how we need to be shaken. We would, we would acknowledge that the prison cell is not uh, the walls and the chains and the shackles and the stocks. The prison cell can often be our success, our prestige, our pursuits. These are the things that hold us back. So we confess them to you. Humbly we repent and we pray that you would make us to be, just regardless of any others, that you would make us to be the people that you've called us to be. So that Jesus might be glorified, that his kingly rule might have its full effect in us and that we might know the joy that is irrepressible and indomitable. Lord, let it be. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen.